covering sports in the Midwest. It's the Midwest Sports Network, MWSN.net. Don't forget, listeners, send in your questions on social media as we're closing out the month with a Mowins Mailbag episode. Already a couple questions in the mailbag. Get yours in, and we'll talk about what you have to ask. But first, it's episode 191 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast as we crown more local state title winners. Plus, ice hockey gets underway tonight officially, and there's been changes in football playoffs. That and much more on the local Sunday Sports Podcast, not on Dayton Radio. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly audio podcast that covers all sports in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and covers areas from Northern Kentucky and the Ohio River up to Lima and Allen County, from Richmond, Indiana and the surrounding Whitewater Valley region to Madison County and surrounding areas. If you want local sports, this is your source. To find your favorite way of listening to this podcast, as well as visiting the Tee Public and Redbubble shops and find the latest episodes, please visit sindaypod.com. This opening theme was created with the Splash app. It's time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. Oh my God, Twitter introduced stories. I can't believe it. I'm never using stories. <laughs> no, just kidding. I've already used Twitter fleets. Weird name, but hey, it's pretty useful for me. I've already used it a couple times. If you want to go follow on Twitter, it's Sunday Pod for the podcast and the Lee W. Mowen for yours truly. We got a lot to talk about. Hopefully it's not another two-hour episode, but... No promises. So, glad you're joined with me again for another episode of local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Again, not heard on Dayton Radio. Like I mentioned, we got a lot of state title winners to talk about. We got high school football playoffs. In fact, this weekend is the last weekend of football playoffs in Ohio and second to last in Indiana and football playoffs start tonight in Kentucky. We'll talk all about that. We'll talk about ice hockey starting yay tonight and also talk about reverse retro NHL jerseys because yes, we talk about the blue jackets on this podcast from time to time. And I think I'm going to be quite in the minority about the blue jackets, reverse retro jerseys. Spoilers. I like them. We'll talk some college football, we'll talk some college basketball, we'll talk a lot of things, and we'll also talk about some locals in the the NBA draft. That was a couple nights ago, that's hard to believe. But first, it's time to talk about football. Like I mentioned, this upcoming weekend is the last weekend in the state of Ohio for football playoffs, and one division has already crowned the champion. Now... I mentioned Division 1, since there's not a lot of teams compared to all the rest of the divisions in Ohio. They ended a week early. But, still a very exciting game, and bringing it home for Cincinnati, the St. Xavier Bombers are your 2020 Division 1 Ohio High School Athletic Association football champs. How did the Bombers do it? Well, they won 44-3. to 
against Pickerington Central. And that was the score of the half, if I'm not mistaken. Now, St. X winning? Nah, that's not a big surprise to me, because St. X, like I mentioned, has a great team. And in fact, I really wish I could have saw Princeton and St. X battle for, you know, if Princeton did beat Elder, but that didn't happen. And instead, it was Elder St. X round two. But, hey, I mean, St. X, I mean, we're talking about a Pickerington Central team that most, you know, people around Columbus said, oh, this looks like a college team. And St. X just dropped a bomb on them, baby. Now, enough of that uh, reference to that song. But big win for St. X and pretty much foot down on the pedal and kept on going. So big win for St. X. And I believe it is their first since 2016 and their fourth. All under Steve Spreck, too. So congrats go out to the St. X Bombers on their big win. We actually could see St. Xavier on ice hockey tomorrow at South Metro, but uh, we're talking football. Division 2, representing the Southwest Ohio region, were the LaSalle Lancers, and they come up a little bit short in the state semis to Massillon, Washington, 14-10. And the other semi-game, it's Archbishop Holbin, 28, Avon, 14. And that'll set up Hoban versus Massillon, Washington for the D2 state title. Tonight at 6.15 at Fortress... Oh, wait a minute. You thought I wasn't going to talk about that. Well, you remember how I said all the state title games are going to be at Fortress Obits? Well, here's the thing. Earlier this week, it was announced that Franklin County was the first team to reach... First team. First county to reach... (laughs) Yes, Team Columbus. They want to get level four in COVID. Yeah, first county in the state of Ohio to reach level four. Now, if you're not from Ohio, level four is bad. That means you have lots of COVID. And no one in Ohio reached level four yet. There was a couple counties close to it that received a star in level three, meaning you were really close to level four unless something magically happened or, you know, you were good at preventing COVID from spreading. But no, Franklin County is in purple. And unless you're rooting for the Stallions of St. Francis of Sales, more on that later, It's not a good thing. Purple is bad. That means, yeah, that's bad. So, because Fortress Opitz is in southeast Columbus and Columbus is in Franklin County, yeah, that kind of means no sports. Which, uh, we'll talk about ice hockey in a little bit again, but, yeah, that makes me really worried for those schools. And I think girls basketball, they're... What was it? Lakota West was supposed to take on uh, Dublin Kaufman, but that can't happen now thanks to, you know, COVID. So, yeah, no more Fortress Obits. St. X won the only state title game that will be at Obits this year. Instead, these games are moved to Maslin, Washington's Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. You might know Paul Brown, you know. He was a coach for Ohio State, the Cleveland Browns, and the Cincinnati Bengals and part of the front office for Cincinnati when they had the two Super Bowl runs in the 80s. And unfortunately, he passed away in the early 1990s. Well, he got his start at Massillon, Washington, and actually, go read the book about Paul Brown. It's highly recommended. But anyway, yes, it's at Massillon, it's at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium, but wait, Lee, you just said Massillon, Washington's in the D2 title game. Well, apparently... Hoban had the option of saying, no, that's not going to fly. And they said, that's fine. 
play wherever. So I, I dig that. I dig that attitude. I really think Division 2's game is going to be a lot of fun. Yes, there's no local opponent there, but stay. I mean, you got you got Hoban, which has been all season, you know, talked about as the top team in Division 2 in Maslin, Washington. There's certainly no slouches, and there's certainly a lot of great history there. I'm looking forward to seeing what that result is. So again, all these state title games in football in Ohio have been moved to Maslin's Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. It'd be cool if it was moved to Cincinnati's Paul Brown Stadium, but, uh, well, actually, Hamilton County is in level three, which, you know, that's bad, but they don't have the star, meaning they're not looking, you know, like they're going to jump into level four. You can read the press release at ohsaa.org, talking about the move to Maslin, Washington. I mean, it's a beautiful stadium, historic stadium, and I think it was thanks to Paul Brown why Maslin Washington has such a massive stadium with massive press boxes and everything. So, yeah, it's up in Northeast Ohio, meaning if you did have tickets, it's a little farther of a drive. Oh, who was that team? Was that Van Wert? Van Wert, uh, spoilers. They All they have to do is drive on US 33, but it's still like you're going from Northwest side of the state to Northeast side of the state. It's not a short drive, but... There you go. So no more state title games of Fortress Obits. That's now at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium in Massillon, Ohio. And again, it'll be Hoban versus Washington for the D2 state title as the Tigers declaw the LaSalle Lancers 14-10. We move on to Division 3. The Alter Knights fall short to St. Francis de Sales. Like I mentioned, the Stallions, great year. Also purple. It's the acceptable purple you can cheer on, not like you know the purple that Franklin County is under for covid but anyway, St. Francis sales 23, Alter 13, and in the other semi-game, it's Chardon 47, Tiffin Columbian 7. That sets up St. Francis sales against Chardon at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. They'll play tomorrow at 6.15. Oh, by the way, did I mention there was an act released by Governor DeWine earlier this week about a curfew? And if you read the article, I think it was WDTN, if you read at the bottom... If you don't believe in it, you can just say, nope, not going to abide by it, which, what's the point in that? But we're not talking about that. No politics. No, 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 no. I'm not getting into arguments about it. Have your own beliefs. I'll have mine. So, yeah, because you're not allowed to be, you're not supposed to be out past 10 p.m., some of the games had to be moved up. And, in fact, when we talk about hockey... Uh, the game tonight has been moved up from 9 to 7, which uh, actually I don't mind that one bit just because I can be home with my fiance after that. So, yeah, some of the games have been changed up. Some of the times have been changed up so that everyone can get home by 10. There's already been a few law offices. Uh, I think Lima police said they're not going to really, you know, go after people if they're out past curfew. So there you go. Again, St. Francis de Sales shard on for the D3 state title tomorrow, Saturday at 6.15. Division 4, Van Wert heading the state. For the first time in a long time, the Cougars pounce on the Wyoming Cowboys 28-20. And on the other side of things, Mentor Lake Catholic 17, Bloom Carroll 10. And they'll set up Lake Catholic against Van Wert Sunday at 12.15. Which, yes, I realize having state title games Sunday, you know, you got NFL, Bengals, Browns. You know, that might uh, that might not be 
the greatest, but hey, you do what you can do. So there you go. Should be a good game as well. Van Wert, great season. And when you're able to take down Wyoming, you've done something right. So I think the Cougars can really take care of business tonight and possibly win one for the... Is Van Wert in the Miami Valley? I think it's the county north of Mercer. So I think they're out of the area technically, but close enough. Division 5. The Roger Bacon Spartans. You know, we talked about Roger Bacon all throughout the season. Corey Kiner heading to LSU. Unfortunately for the Spartans, they're not going to the state title game. They fall to Ironton, a very good Ironton Tiger squad, 22-19. And in the other semi-game, Kirkland 39, Ostego 13. I think I mentioned it last week. I'll mention it again. It just seems like Kirkland is, you know, the team to talk about a lot in the fall. I mean, soccer program's great, and football, they're playing for a state title. They'll get Ironton at Saturday at 115. Again, Paul Brown Tiger Stadium in Massillon. Division 6. New Middletown Springfield 16, Fort Fry 13. That's an upset of the top seed in Division 6. And Coldwater takes down Columbus Grove 41-27. And you know what that set up? New Middletown Springfield Tigers, Coldwater Cavaliers, Paul Brown Tiger Stadium, Sunday at 5.15, which will end the high school football season in Ohio. That's the last state title game. And Division 7. We'll skip the battle I was pumping up last week, and we'll go to John F. Kennedy Catholic 20, Newark Catholic 13. And the game to talk about, because, you know, there's only two games to talk about. New Bremen 28, Lima Central Catholic 26. I I mentioned how New Bremen had a big game against Marion Local. That was a big win, and this is a big win against a very good LCC squad. I think the Cardinals have a great chance of winning the Division 7 title, and they got a chance against John F. Kennedy Catholic at Massillon Paul Brown Tiger Stadium Friday at 1.15, meaning pretty much once I sign off or even after that. They'll be playing the D7 state title game. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe this is the last weekend. And then next week when we talk about football scores, which yeah, I got to figure out when I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it for high school football. We got Bengals, Bearcats, Miami Redhawks, and that's kind of it with the pigskin until you know 2021 or, well, spring or fall, depending on when everything happens like that. So, let's move on to Indiana. This is the second-to-last weekend for Hoosier Gridiron action, and I do have to apologize. There was a team I left out. It was the Lawrenceburg Tigers in Class 3A, and they were Sectional 31 winners. I deeply apologize about that. I thought I covered everyone, but like I mentioned, for Indiana, I, I know Richmond, I know the TEC, and moving on to the southeast quadrant of the states, you know, in the greater Cincinnati area, I, I, it's not an excuse. I'm sorry. I messed up. So we'll talk about Lawrenceburg in a bit, but first, Class 4A action, and Fortville Mount Vernon meets the end of the road as Ron Kelly takes him down 35-14, in Region 11 play, and Region 12 play, it's Mooresville 37, Evansville Central 34. They'll sub Roncalli against Mooresville, and that'll be tonight at 7 in the state semifinal. The other side is Hobart and Marion. And then next week, 
with all the classes in Indiana, will be state title time at Lucas Oil Stadium. Again, I mentioned in Ohio, it'd be great to you know have the state title games at you know Paul Brown Stadium or First Energy Stadium, you know the Factory of Sadness. But in Indiana, you get to play where the Colts play for the state title, which is really cool. Class 3A, like I mentioned, Lawrenceburg, they had a nice run in the playoffs. Let's talk about the Tigers' run in sectional 31. First, they beat Brownstown Central 33-20. Then they beat Scottsburg 50-20. Lawrenceburg then took down Franklin County 49-12 for the sectional 31 title. But in Region 16 action, the Tigers fall to Southridge 49-28. Southridge now gets Danville Friday at 7.30 tonight. Opposite of Mishawaka Marion or Indianapolis Bishop Chatard. And that's 3A looking at you. Class 2A looks like this. Region 19 has Western Boone upsetting Heritage Christian 42-27. And Region 20 is Evansville Mater Day taking down Triton Central 16-6. Those two teams I mentioned, Western Boone and Mater Day, they'll play tonight at 7-30 and take on the winner of Pioneer or Fort Wayne Bishop Lures. Class 1A time. And Region 22, it's South Adams, 48, Southwood, 35. And Region 24 has West Washington defeating North Decatur, 36-20. So that means the Starfires have Lafayette Central Catholic. I thought they played West Washington. I was mistaken. West Washington has Covenant Christian. And both of those will be Friday tonight at 7.30. Now we move on to other sports because, yes, we talk about all sports here as much as we can on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. It's not just football. It's a little bit of everything for local sports. For soccer, we'll start with Division One. The girls' title goes to Strongsville as they take down Olin Tangy 3-1. And the boys' title goes to St. Ignatius as they take down New Albany in Columbus 4-1. Division Two has Mansfield, Madison, Comp knocking off Granville 2-1 for the title in girls' action. In boys' action, it's a heartbreaker for Tippecanoe as they fall to Warren Howland 5-0, excuse me, and that snaps a 47-match winning streak by the Red Devils. 47 matches in a row. That's impressive. Well, time to start a new one for Tippecanoe for next year. Division three, the girls, as Cincinnati Country Day, the local representatives, they fall in overtime to Kirkland 3-2. Like I said, we talk about Kirkland a lot, considering they're not in southwest Ohio. Don't know where they are at exactly. If you give me an atlas of Ohio or a map of Ohio, even you say point to where Kirkland is. I'm just circling the northern quadrant of the state. It's somewhere in there, you know. And boys action. Remember how I told you Marymont's going to play for the first state title ever and they were undefeated? Well, the Warriors hoist the cup. They knock off Youngstown Cardinal Mooney 4-1. Now we move on to volleyball, Division 1. For Cincinnati, it's Mount Notre Dame. Sweeping Padua Franciscan in three sets. Division two Gilmore Academy takes out Notre Dame Catholic Latin three to two. Division three Huron wins it in five against Independence. And Division four New Bremen, the local reps, they were when they were unable to take the title in D four. They fall in four to Tiffin Calvert. Cross country. Now this is something new. It's you know I. I I don't want to say, you know, talking about cross country is not fun because, you know, that's not the case. But I think this is the first time I'm covering, you know, in depth about 
you know, the teams. So actually, we're going to skip that for now and go to girls tennis. Boys tennis plays in the spring. And we'll talk about the local state title winners. For Division One from St. Ursula Academy in Cincinnati, it's Elizabeth Pendergrass defeating Shyla Agarwal of Mason, 6-4, 2-6, for the Division One individual singles title. In Division One doubles title, Centerville's Clara Owen and Caroline Hinshaw fall short to Upper Arlington's Megan Basil and, I'm sorry, Basil, and Ella Hazelbaker by a combined score of 7-6 and 6-3. That's the Division I double title. And Division II, there's only two divisions for girls' tennis. Macy Hitchcock of Eaton defeats Columbus Academy. Sydney Ratliff, 7-6, 7-5 for the D2 singles title. And for the D2 doubles title from Oakwood and the Lumberjills, Sarah Hall and Natalie Connell defeat Columbus Wellington Schools' Alexis Burkhalter and Katie Zerby, 6-2, 6-4. And, I, you know, we talked to Matt Sexton. He's a previous guest. He's the head coach of the girls' tennis team at Blanchester. But, you know, I don't really talk about tennis that much. And it's something that it's not planned like that. But, you know, you heard how many locals won state titles in tennis? Yeah, that was awesome. Now, cross-country, I have to pull up the tab real quick. Because with cross-country, you're not only talking about individual schools, you're talking about individuals that win events or win the cross-country race. So we'll start off with Girls Division 1. Pop up that beautiful tab for me, please. And it will pull up as the Centerville Elks are your Division 1 state tile winners in Girls Cross-Country. They have a score of 128 and 10 points better than Hilliard Davidson of Columbus. Your next local representative in fourth place, the Mason Comets of 175, which I never knew in cross country. They went by golf scores, you know, smallest number wins type of thing. Next local team in eighth place, Beaver Creek tied with Lakota East at 241. Then you have Lebanon in 11th place, 265. Dublin Kaufman and Columbus, 313 in 15th place, followed by Upper Arlington, 16th place, 373. Gahanna Lincoln, 429, 17th place. Lancaster's in there, 446. And Beaver Creek wins in a tiebreaker for 8th place over Lakota East with a 76-119 decision over the Thunder Thunderhawks. I always forget if it's Thunderhawks or Thunderbirds. I don't know why, but there you go. Individually... As we look at the results, Mia Robillard of Centerville is your top finisher in her sophomore year at CHS. And Emma Booker, right behind her, the senior for Centerville, finishes in second place. You have Beaver Creek's Julianne Williams in third. And you have Turpin's Ella Lambert in fourth place. And rounding up the top five in the individuals, Alyssa Shope of Gehanna Lincoln. So, very cool. And it's something that, you know, I felt like we need to talk about because, you know, when locals do, you know, well and win state titles, then it's time to talk about. By the way, if you're wondering where this was held, Fortress Obits, Saturday, November 7th. So a little bit late on that, but uh, <laughs> one of my topics today, it's been out for a couple weeks. I don't know why I'm like that, but... Uh, I just am. So let's move on to Division 2. Again, pop up that beautiful tab. And I think Fredericktown is the winner of the D2 state title. 
Actually, wait, I hit the wrong thing, didn't I? Don't look behind the curtain! I hit the girls' starting lines instead, because I'm smart. Lexington! In fact, I actually wrote it down on Microsoft Word. Why am I not going off that? Lexington's your D2 girls' cross-county state title winners. They finished with a score of 113. Oakwood is your first local team. They finished runners-up at 127. Waynesville in 5th place, 154. Granville, 186 and 6th. Then we have Jonathan Alder at 284 in 11th place, right behind Bexley at 250 in 10th place. Eaton is the 13th place team, 319 score. Then we have Lima Shawnee in 18th place at 381, and Fredericktown at 503 in 20th place. Your individual winner for D2's Cross County individual title. I know I said individual twice, I'm sorry. Grace Hartman of Oakwood finishes first at a time of 18. 04.1, which is 0.1 second better than Hawkins Ella Gilson. 0.1 second. And your next local finisher finishing up the top five, Bella Butler of Oakwood, 1834.1. 30 seconds behind Grace Hartman of Oakwood. So congrats go out to those ladies. Now we talk about Division Three across county results, cross country results. Why did I say cross county? Oh, yeah, because the CCC is uh, folding up shop at the end of the school year, and that's no longer. West Liberty Salem are your title winners as they finish with a cool low score, 55, followed by Minster at 83. Nice to see uh, Tigers and Wildcats there. I thought Minster were Tigers as well, but nope, that's Wildcats. They have the ball print, though. Promise. Fort Loramie in fourth place, 126. We have... Versailles in 10th place, 291. Anna in 12th, 322. Fort Recovery right behind the Anna Rockets, 323. Then you have Liberty Union in 15th place, 382. St. Henry, 392 in 16th. And Grandview Heights in 18th place at 432. Caldwell rounds up the top 20 at 479. And the winner of the race, the individual state title winner, Kaylee Richards of Maplewood. And West Liberty Salem has Megan Adams finishing in the top five, 1843.5, which is 21.2 seconds away from first place. So congrats to those ladies as we talk about boys cross country, Division I first. And we have ourselves Lakota West winning the state title, 73 points, two points better than St. X at 75. Beaver Creek in third place, 143. Then we have Hilliard Davidson in sixth place at 189. Loveland in seventh at 254. We have Mason at 274 in tenth place, followed by Lancaster, 276. In 14th place, Upper Arlington, 348. In 15th place, Dublin Jerome, 363. And we have Dublin Coffin in 19th place, 396. The individual winner looks like it's Uniontown Lakes Nathan Moore with a time of 1459.5. Your first local is Nathan Mountain with a time of 1526.6, 27.1 seconds behind Moore. Then you have Bellbrook's Takumi Ford at 1532.3. Then we have St. X's Connor Borer at 1534.5. And Beaver Creek's Connor Ewart finishing up the top five at 1538.9 as we move on to Division 2. I believe you give titles out to individuals and teams. I, I say that because I thought tennis did that, but there you go. D2 boys cross-country winners. 
It's why you have the level down as the cat walks across. Thank you, Cassie. Appreciate your help. Woodridge is your D2 boys cross-country winners with a score of 113. Your first local team are the runners-up, and they have a tiebreaker win over Unido, the Waynesville Spartans at 149, and they take down Unido 88-92. And then your next local team, the Carroll Patriots in 8th place, 225, Van Wart 232, Marymont 261, 8910 right there. West Liberty Salem, 12th place for the boys, D2, 278. Followed by Bexley in 16, 323. I believe that's Bishop Watterson at 359. Just says Watterson. I don't think there's just a Watterson school. There's Bishop Watterson, though. And Fairview at 388 to round up the top 20. Your individual winner would be Woodridge's Ryan Champa, a time of 1542.9. We have for the locals. Kevin Agnew of Carroll, 1554.3, seconds behind the first place finisher. And Owen Matthews of Hamilton Baden, 16.2, which is 17.3 seconds behind Ryan Champa. And now we talk about Division 3. And this will round up most of the tile winners. East Canton wins the D3 title. With a score of 126, your first local team, just five points behind, Summit Country Day of Cincinnati, 131. Your next local school will be Cedarville, 216 in seventh place. Then we have Fisher Catholic, 251 in 10th place, Minster, 269, Bawkins, 289. Then we have Anna in 15th place, 303. And that is not the right Lakota, because that would be Lakota East or West. That is the other Lakota. Your... Individual winner is Thomas Caputo from Fredericktown, 1531.5. Your first local, and, well, we'll have to dive a little bit out of the top five. Your first local is an eighth-place finisher, Ethan Wallace of Cedarville, a time of 16.05.7, excuse me, 34.2 seconds behind Thomas Caputo. And that's cross-country. And I believe it's the first time we talked about individuals for the state title winners in cross country. And I believe first time for girls tennis is the first time for everything, but it's not on Dayton radio. So there you go. Let's talk about Kentucky playoffs because those are scheduled to happen. Remember last week where they were supposed to start, but uh, yeah, Kentucky's dealing with COVID as well. I mean, name a place that isn't. Oh yeah. Australia. They have, what was that crowd? 6,500. And I don't believe anyone wore a mask. You know, they got COVID. Knocked out of the park, which is nice. It's too bad that won't happen here for a while. But anyway, this is from James Weber of the Cincinnati Inquirer. We're going to talk about the seedings and the teams that opted out of the playoffs because thanks to COVID, you can do that. Now, remember how I said Indiana has their state title games at Lucas Oil Stadium? There's not a pro team in Kentucky, but they go to the next best place, Kroger Field at the University of Kentucky. You thought I was going to say Kroger. What sense would that make? <laughs> anyway, the state titles, or the state finals, rather, will be December 18th and the 20th. Pray it doesn't snow and get cold. So the format will be the same as last year's, but the first two rounds are district playoffs, and then the four qualifiers from each district will play until one advances to the third round. In the third and fourth rounds, teams are seeded based on their RPI ratings at the end of the regular season, 
with the higher RPI hosting. And then the state will be split into half for the third round to limit travel. You know, you don't really want to be a Western Kentucky team and have to travel all the way to the other side to Eastern Kentucky. That's a trip. But the state is split into half uh, geographically for the third round to limit travel with the winners from Districts 1 and 4 being paired together by RBI, then the same for Districts 5 and 8. Again, this article is from Cincinnati Inquirer by James Weber. And the four semifinalists are paired by RBI. Who cares about travel at that point? But then again, you're getting close to state title games, so there you go. 16 Kentucky teams have opted out of the playoffs as of Tuesday morning, thanks to the lovely virus of the coronavirus. And that does include three area teams. Bellevue, who finished 0-8 in Class 1A. Holy Cross in 2A, finishing 2-6. And, and Campbell County, also 2-6, but in 6A. All three teams would have been the fourth seed in their brackets. Therefore, the top seeds get a buy on that. New Park, Central Catholic, Beachwood, and Ryle. Brossart will also receive a first-round buy after Bracken County opted out as well. We talk about Bracken County a little bit. Out of the first 11 teams that opted out, nine of them were number four seeds and were scheduled to play a number one seed. And the other two were number three seeds, which the 11 teams combined had a record, wait for it, 13 and 66. Say what you want, but, you know, you got to worry about your kid's health. You got to worry about, you know, not spreading a deadly virus, which we don't have a vaccine for quite yet, but... There you go. So, what are your local playoff openers for NKY? Well, I'm glad you asked. Holmes 4A opener against Boyd County will not be tonight. They will be expected to be playing November 21st, so that would be Saturday, as they're still in quarantine, and they're waiting to be cleared for tomorrow. So, it'll be Holmes and the Bulldogs hosting Boyd tomorrow afternoon at 4 but the rest of them promise tonight, November 20th. So the official pairings look like this, continuing on from the Cincinnati.com article. So District 4, 1A, you have the Dayton Green Devils, who have their first winning season in a while. Actually, by a while, I mean 2007, when Dayton went 8-3. This is Dayton, Kentucky, by the way. Not We're talking Northern Kentucky. There you go. So Dayton 5-3 gets Ludlow 3-5, with the winner going to take on New Park Central Catholic, who finished the regular season 6-2 next week. If the seeds hold, New Calf, New Park Central Catholic, will play at Louisville Holy Cross, who went 6-1 in the third round of a rematch of NCC's 21-16 loss in the same round last year. By the way, Louisville Holy Cross is ranked third in the final AP polls, and Newport Catholic Central, Newport Central Catholic, excuse me, is fifth. So, 1A District 5, you'll have Nicholas County, 5 and 1, host Paris, 1 and 5, and the winner will go on to play Brossart, who is 5 and 3 next Friday. So, if the seeds hold, Brossart is going to play in the third round at reigning 1A state champion Pikeville, who's the top rated team by the AP. Pikeville went 5-2 this year. We move down to 2A, District 5. You have Shawnee 1-5 at Walton Verona 5-4. And 4-3, and Gallatin County is at Carroll County, who went 5-4. and four. 
2A District 6 is 3 and 2 Lloyd Memorial going to 4 and 3 Newport. And then the winner will take on 6 and 2 Beechwood next week. If everything holds on, Walton, excuse me, Walton Verona will play at West Carter, who's ranked 5th in 2A by the AP. And then Beechwood will take on Breathitt County. I think that's how you say it. It's Breath ITT County, who went 4 and 1, also 7th in the AP. Beachwood, however, they're ranked third. So that should be really good matches if everything holds. Again, if everything holds. 4A time, we got Boyd County visiting Holmes. Like I mentioned, that's tomorrow at 4. Boyd County 3 and 4, Holmes 7 and 2. Harrison County's 5 and 3. They'll take on 3 and 3, Rowan County. And if everything holds true, Holmes has Boyle County, second in the state, ranked second in the state. And, uh, oh yeah, went 7 and 0. 5A District 5, you have Cooper, 3-5, and five, at Covington Catholic, 7-1. and one. And then Highlands is 4-5. and five. They'll visit 3-3 three and three Connor. Not just someone named Connor, but there's a school named Connor. Ha, 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 I'm so funny. If everything holds in 5A, Covington Catholic will host the winner of District 7, which, according to the article, it's hard to pick with several district games being canceled, several close games, so there you go. So, who Covington Catholic could play? Maybe a 6-2 Collins team that's got the highest RPI of the group, but also lost to 3-2 Woodford County during the season. So, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have 4-3 Dixie Heights host 6, excuse me, 3-6 Simon Kenton and 6A District 6 play. And the winner of Simon Kenton, Dixie Heights, will play Ryle next Friday. By the way, the Ryle Raiders went 6-3. And, and if Ryle moves on... They'll get to take on reigning state champ Louisville Trinity. That's right, the same Trinity Shamrocks we see from time to time in ice hockey. Next, actually, that'd be two weeks. And that's it. Again, just to go over what the scores are, these are from nkysports.com. Lloyd is at Newport tonight at 7, as is Dayton will be at Ludlow. Lloyd at Newport is Class 2A. Class 1A is Dayton at Ludlow. Class 5A is Cooper at Covington Catholic. Shawnee is at Walton Verona tonight for 2A fun. Simon Kenton's at Dixie for 6A fun. 5A is Highlands at Connor. And 4A is Boyd County at Holmes tomorrow at 4. So, we'll have Northern Kentucky playoff scores for you until, you know, we're out of local teams. And there was a nice write-up by James Weber about the previews. I won't read all those. I read most of that article anyway. But you'll also have Scott Springer offering his pick choices, which is something the Inquirer does from time to time. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun when I was with the Princeton Vikings this season. You know, what was it? Princeton Colerain? And I think one picked Princeton, the rest picked Colerain, and then Princeton won that. I still I still remember that highlight. It's, it, it's one of those nice highlights that, you know, stick in my mind and it brings a smile on my face not like i don't you know not like i'm trying to rub faces in it but you get what i'm saying but there you go you can support local journalism that way cincinnati.com and that's football for the week no it's not let's talk nfl you get the point i don't want to get dinged for you know copyright just because i'm you know doing the song so the Bengals lost, I can tell you that much. And Joe Burrow almost got hurt thanks to a nice push out of bounds by Bud Dupree, but never mind that. 
yeah, uh, that game against the Steelers in Pittsburgh, not very pretty. And in fact, you can pinpoint it. It's probably Joe Burrow's toughest game he had. I mean, the Steelers have a dynamite defense. You know, and Bud Dupree shoving him into a bench out of bounds. But never mind. Luckily, he should be okay. Or else that'd be the whole topic throughout the thing. And, you know, I... I you know, I, I do mention Pittsburgh scores on here just because there are Steelers fans in the area, as there are Browns fans and Colts fans. That's why I give the scores out like that. But, yeah, that was dirty. And I don't like dirty plays. The Steelers defeat the Bengals 36-10, to and that gives Pittsburgh 10 straight games over the Bengals. 10 straight wins over the Bengals, I should say. Like I mentioned, yeah, Joe Burrow had a rough game. And in fact, the Steelers put 22 points on the board in the first half to Cincinnati 7. And then the second half, 14 more points for the Steelers to Cincinnati's 3. That's how you get your 36-10. to 10. What I think what hurts the most is Ben Roethlisberger. You know, he's getting up there in age. He's coming off major elbow surgery. That's probably his best game of the year. And he didn't practice thanks to being in the COVID list. Meaning, you know, he couldn't really practice because of the fact, yeah, you don't want to spread that virus around. So, uh, talk about the stats. Not going to really focus on them. Like I mentioned, it was a tough game. Yeah, solid. I will say this. The Bengals' offensive line? They, yeah, four sacks. But again, Steelers have a great defense. I recognize great. What I really like, the Bengals held the Steelers' rushing attack to 44 yards. Passing on the other side, 333 yards, four touchdowns, 27-46 for Big Ben. On the other side for Joe Burrow, 213 yards, 21-40, one touchdown. It was to T. Higgins. T. Higgins has caught fire lately, and I love to see that. I think he's the future of the right receiving core, along with Boyd. You know, Giovanni Bernard, yeah, 17 yards on four catches. You know, it's nice to get your passing game into the running back. A.J. Green, five targets, no catches. He's regressing back. He had that one great game. Was that against Tennessee? I think it was the one before Tennessee. And now that. For the Steelers, Smith-Schuster, one touchdown, 77 yards, nine catches on 13 targets. Johnson, six catches, 11 targets, one touchdown on 116 yards. That led the core for Steelers. Claypool, two touchdowns. And 56 yards, 4 of 10. And the tight end, Ebron, 2 catches, 38 yards on 6 targets. 333 yards in the air. So, yeah, the Bengals did a nice job stuffing the running game. I mean, James Conner, who's one of my favorite players in the NFL. Uh, 36 yards, 13 rushes. That's it. No rushing touchdowns for the Steelers in that game. Then again, if you look on the Bengals side of things, 139 yards, which, yeah, that's almost... 100 more than the Steelers, but no touchdowns. And actually, Bernard didn't lead the rushing core. He got the most rushes at 30, but uh, uh, Pirine, um, Smarji Pirine, I think, uh, 48 yards, 7 rushes. So uh, a little bit surprising on that. But yeah, we'll see if Joe Mixon comes back anytime soon as the Bengals are in Washington. I've already mentioned the shove. Uh, by Bud Dupree and, you know, Gurr and everything. I'm, yeah, I'm still kind of loving on that, that one called. But at the same time, 
if you're on the field protecting Joe Burrow, why aren't you raising a stink about that? Stand up for your rookie quarterback. If he's going to be the future of Cincinnati Bengals and turning this franchise around and, you know, winning playoff games and taking the Bengals as far as they can to the playoffs, you might want to keep him for a while. Unhurt. Uninjured, even. But that doesn't... It angers me, but it doesn't anger me as much. I don't know. I mean, Pittsburgh's had their way with Cincinnati. And I forget what article it was that I read. I forget where it was, but it was a really good article. I think it was Cincinnati Inquirer. You know that playoff game a few years back where the Bengals had the lead with A.J. McCarron leading the charge down the field in the fourth quarter where Cincinnati was looking like they were going to win their first playoff game since 1990 against the Houston Oilers, who technically don't exist anymore. Well, they're the Tennessee Titans now. Yeah. And then, you know... Hill fumbles, which, you know, that's forgivable. And then the defense decides, hey, this is a great time to get personal fouls. You ever wonder if the Bengals didn't fumble the ball and that never happened and the Steelers didn't win that game? You ever wonder what would happen if the Bengals won that game? Would the Bengals still be, would we have Joe Burrow? Probably not. But would we be in this mess we're currently in where the past few years have been kind of not great? I don't know. I mean, if you look about it, before that game happened, the Bengals had like three more wins than the Steelers did in the past few years, which is crazy to me. And like Dan Horst said in the uh, interview I had with him a while back, Bengals past few years haven't been playing bad football. I mean, past few seasons, yeah, that's not great. But uh, before that, even, you know, make the joke about the first round losses in the playoffs and not able to get past the Texans or the New York Jets. Still, the Bengals played pretty great regular season. I mean, fans were excited. Nowadays, I mean, we're excited for Joe Burrow. We're excited to see the future. But, you know, past few years haven't been great. I, I, I often wonder that myself. It's like the Back to the Future situation. Like, you know, what if, what if someone could say, Hill, don't fumble the ball? Or, that's fine. I mean, Hill fumbled fairly deep, and Pittsburgh had to drive a long ways to get into field goal range. What if, you know, someone told the defense, hey, you know, don't don't get flags. You know, stop the Steelers, because Ben Roethlisberger wasn't at full health. I, I don't know. I, I think about that from time to time. That article was, you know, kind of eye-opening. But, yeah, tough loss. You know, Steelers are a great team, 9-0. You can make the argument that Steelers haven't really played in a one, but, I mean, Baltimore. But Baltimore has been, as of late, kind of off. And Urinane Tree, one of my uh, favorite YouTube watchers, uh, Urinane Tree mentions the point, have people figured out how to stop Lamar Jackson in Baltimore? Or is just Lamar Jackson not 100% and the Ravens aren't 100% because of that? I don't know. Yeah, it was, a, like I said, tough game. And Joe Burrow, you know, you mentioned it, but you shook it off after that. So, you know, I, I applaud Joe Burrow. His attitude, definitely definitely tops and i i honestly think you know if burrow ever leaves cincinnati bengals are screwed up and that's kind of it because you know you don't see this type of talent and this type of level-headedness like you get on burrow so i'm i'm quite excited for the future so what's that leave the two six and one bengals 
The Washington Football Club. <laughs> I'm sorry, the Washington Football Team. Which I heard that they're considering sticking with that name forever. Why, Washington? <sighs> anyway, Washington is 2-7, and seven, and the Bengals haven't won on the road since... Uh, was it 2018 in Atlanta? That sounds about right. So, this will be a Sunday at 1 o'clock game. And, of course, well, actually, no, I'm, I got a hockey game, so I won't be able to listen to it, but I'll be following along with the updates on my phone because, you know, that's what I do. Bengals are my local team, and I follow my local squads. Last time the Bengals met Washington and the team formerly known as the Redskins, Cincinnati came out on top 23-13. So... The defense of Washington, they're ranked fifth, so that's pretty good. The offense is uh, kind of poo-poo. They're ranked 30th overall. Passing 21st, rushing 30th. So the Bengals are able to make Washington you know, go through the air. I mean, Alex Smith, what a great story that is, Alex Smith. And it's really cool. I didn't think he was going to be able to come back into football. And there he is. He's now the starter. Where we look at the Bengals, 22nd in defense, 17th in passing. You can thank Burrow for most of that. And rushing 24th, 19th offense. Which, you know, a few ticks better, but eh, still nothing to squee about. So, it's a winnable game. And if the Bengals, you know, actually forget that, hey, it's a road game, I think they got a solid chance. You know, because the Bengals haven't won a road game under Zach Taylor yet. Well, I could talk about the ever scores. If I backtrack real quick. Like I said, tough loss. You know, it's behind you. Learn from it. Joe Burrow certainly has, it seems like. And you go into Week 11 against Washington and the football team. The Cleveland Browns, a game I listened to on the radio before, you know, the Bengals game. They defeat the Houston Texans 10-7. Of course, Houston is led by Romeo Cornell, one-time head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And that game, <laughs> it was 3-0 most of the way. Went up to Beaver Creek uh, to get a few things for, for my fiance, And I come back, and it's 3-0. It, Houston has a couple of chances. You know, they, they gamble on fourth down, which, you know, I, I probably would have done the same thing, too, to be honest. That's why I'm not a football coach. I'm a guy talking to you about sports. I feel like Texans had a couple of chances to tie the game, and they just, you know, didn't. Yeah, they missed a field goal, too, but, you know, I don't know. So the Browns pick up their sixth win of the year, 6-3 and three on this season. I mentioned the Steelers game, you know, it helps that the Bengals, you know, played them. That's why we talked about them. The Ravens fell on Sunday night to New England, 23-17. Uh, to 17. It's weird to see the Patriots not dominate the AFC East, but uh, Buffalo thinks probably your best shot to win that division. Miami, I think, could win it too. That's not too wild. And looks like they... The Bills, I mean. Oh yeah, that was a game where um, DeAndre Hopkins pulls in that Hail Mary on double coverage and wins it for the cards. Yeah, that's, that's such a miraculous catch. But there you go. Talk a little bit about football. Oh, yeah, the Colts, because we do talk about the Colts. That was a Thursday night game last week, and 
The Colts are now 28-9 against Tennessee since 1998 in regular season games. So you could say Indianapolis has their way with Tennessee, and the Titans have now lost, what, three out of the last four? Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, now Indy. So, and I think that gave Indianapolis control of the AFC South. Yeah, I think it's AFC South. It's not AFC East or North, so what else it would be? It's not West. So there you go. In case you're wondering what to look for in Week 11, I mentioned Cincinnati's at the Washington football team. Seriously, get a real name. Browns host the Eagles. The Colts host the Green Bay Packers, and the Steelers are at Jacksonville. Jacksonville has lost eight straight games, including one game to Cincinnati. And now it's time to talk college football. That's right. We got two great teams locally, the Cincinnati Bearcats and the Miami Redhawks. Get it out of the way. No Redhawks game to talk about. I think we talked about last week that the Miami Redhawks could not play against Ohio because OU had the COVID and had to be quarantined. So no battle of the bricks this regular season. For the UC Bearcats, however, they keep on winning. This football team is dynamite. They got UCF on site as the next three games will be on the road for UC. And they'll be at UCF this Saturday at 3.30, then at Temple next Saturday. And what would that be? Four Saturdays, December 12th, they'll be at Tulsa. So big slate of road games, especially UCF is pretty dynamite themselves, but let's talk about that 55 to 17 win over East Carolina and senior night, also military appreciation night. Unfortunately, no fans were allowed in these stands at Nippert, but the Bearcats put on a show seven in the first quarter, 28 in the second quarter, and even a fake punt in the game, which ECU's coach not too happy about, but hey. You stop it, then, you know, tables are turned. 55 points for the Bearcats. They knock off the Pirates, 55-17. to 17. We look towards the stats. Where are the stats on these? 29 first downs for the Bearcats to 23 for ECU. And total yards of offense, East Carolina, 293. Cincinnati, 653. That's a lot. And on five less plays, too, 71-66, ECU with five more plays. So, yeah, I mean, this Bearcat squad, just outstanding. I mean, this is great college football. Unfortunately, with that win, the Bearcats did not move up in the AP polls, but luckily they didn't move down either because, you know, I throw my hands up on that. It's like, you know, whatever. Three touchdowns for quarterback Desmond Ritter on 327 yards. 24 of 31 on the game. You got Desmond Ritter also rushing for 83, excuse me, 75 yards. That was the gain on eight rushes and a touchdown. Cameron Young, one touchdown, 75 yards on one rush. Jerome Ford, seven rushes on 54 yards, two touchdowns for the Bearcats. In the receiving core, three individual wide receivers pulled down touchdowns. Trey Tucker, 40, make it. 45 yards on long, 69 yards, four catches, one TD. Michael Young, one touchdown, 60 yards, three catches. And Jay Jackson, one touchdown, 54 yards on five catches. So, yeah, definitely this is a team you want to watch. And definitely it's one I love hearing on the radio. 
with Dan Horn and company, and UCF is on the schedule next. And you remember, what was it, a few years ago? I was coming home from a Loveland Tigers game, so it had to have been last year. Uh, that gif with uh, Walt Disney, you know, the the Disney opening for the VHS and DVDs. You hate to see it. That's still one of my favorite ones, but there you go. Great win by the Bearcats. And now we move on to baseball, because it's totally baseball season. We're already at the hour point. Marvelous. We might have to cut some things to talk about this week, but that's okay. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds and Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer is the NL Cy Young winner. And remember, he turned down that qualifying offer for the Reds, meaning if he signs somewhere else, the Reds get a draft pick. But I kind of don't want the Reds to get a draft pick. I kind of want Trevor Bauer to come back to Cincinnati, especially considering the fact that, you know, he loved it in Cincinnati. So, I, I can't really tell you about that and the news, but, hey, NL Cy Young winner. What does that mean for Cincinnati? Well, that's just the first Cy Young winner ever in history. And remember, Cincinnati was the first place of pro baseball. Granted, the first ever team in Cincinnati is no longer a thing, and the Reds, you know, aren't that team, but they honor that history. But, hey, first Cy Young ever in Cincinnati history. That's amazing to me. I mean, you know, the Reds have been great historically. I mean, I love reading about the history, but first ever. I know there's a lot of Cub fans whining that you Darvish should have won it. Nah, Trevor Bauer should have won it, and he did. So there you go. First ever Cy Young winner for Cincinnati. Now, this next point brings us to Columbus as your AL winner is Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Indians. And both those players were former Columbus Clippers. Hard to believe. And Columbus was the, well, is the AL affiliate of the Cleveland Indians. So there you go. Historically, you can probably talk to people about the Clippers and they remember the days of the New York Yankees or even those two years with the Washington Nationals before, you know, settling with the Cleveland Indians. With all this uh, minor league baseball shakeup, uh, I, I don't see Cleveland losing their AAA affiliate unless they, you know, I don't know why they would. I mean, Toledo's got Detroit. I mean, Cincinnati, Louisville's not that far away. It's not bad. Indianapolis wouldn't be that bad either. Pittsburgh gave them up. But, again, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Trevor Bauer being the first Red to win the Cy Young. Of course, that means the best pitcher in the MLB. Well, NL, I should say, because they also hand one to the AL as well, American League. The Reds never had a Cy Young winner, making them one of four active teams without a Cy Young winner, and the only team founded prior to 1961 without one. And Bauer ended that drought for the Reds. 5-4, and four, NL best 1.73 ERA in 11 starts, and he helped the Reds get to the playoffs for the first time since 2013. You know, I, I wanted, you know, I was kind of hoping Sonny Gray would win it if Trevor Bauer didn't, but hey, Bauer did. You Darvish didn't, so I'm pretty happy about that. So the next question is, after that big award, 
you know? Whereas I'd leave him in the Reds. I don't know, but hopefully, hopefully that means, you know, the Cincinnati Reds can work out a deal and bring him back. He loved his time in Cincinnati. I mean, yeah, he is teasing about, you know, hey, this city's cool, this fan base is cool, you know, wink and all that stuff. But, I mean, the Reds, the starting core, outstanding. The offensive, they can hit, you know, with regularity. They're good. The bullpen, they got better as the season went on. So, I mean, there's some pieces that you like to see, but at the same time, hey. So, congrats go out to Trevor Bauer, and again, I'm sorry I'm now getting to this, you know, since the award was issued November 11th. You know, there's so much to talk about in this podcast, so it's just, you know, not an excuse. That's me sucking as a podcast host, but anyway. Again, congrats to Trevor Bauer, the first ever Red to win the Cy Young Award. The only team that founded prior to 1961 that didn't win that. That's That part's kind of jaw-dropping for me. So, let's talk about ice hockey. It starts tonight. The regular season starts tonight. I am excited as the Springboro Panthers were scheduled to take on the Alter Knights, but that's not a thing because Alter is on a two-week quarantine. Thanks, Virus. Thanks, 2020. Even though 2020 is a calendar year and cannot control any aspect of time or events that happen. But the Panthers do have another opponent lined up for tonight. And at 7, it'll be Springboro versus Dayton Stealth. Now, if you don't know the ice hockey scene around here, Dayton Stealth is the Youth Hockey Association that calls Dayton, Ohio home. Although most of the team's not playing Springfield. You know, figure that out. The Dayton Stealth, they have two varsity, uh, excuse me, two high school level teams in the Ohio Scholastic Hockey League, formerly the Greater Columbus High School Hockey League. And some of the opponents for Dayton, you have Hilliard. They're probably the biggest foe for the Stealth. Uh, Westerville, uh, Athens out of Columbus, Newark. The Newark Generals, probably one of my favorite uh Probably one of my favorite sports themes they have. The Generals actually have, like, olive green, and they have, you know, fatigues and stuff like that. It's really cool. Look up. <laughs> look up what the Newark Generals jerseys look like. They are, they're pretty great. Anyway, the Dayton Stealth. So they play in the Ohio Scholastic Hockey League, and they call mainly the NTPRD Chiller home, although this year the varsity team is playing at Kettering. So, the Dayton Stealth take high school students that don't have hockey in their place, and, you know, they put them on their team. So, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a lot of schools. You, you, you would have a better time figuring out what schools don't have hockey compared to which ones do. But, there you go. So, the Dayton Stealth's like an option if you want to play hockey, but your school doesn't offer a sport. And ice hockey is very expensive. So, you know, you gotta... You gotta get ice time paid. You gotta get equipment, and <laughs> it's it's an expensive sport, but it's a great sport. It's <laughs> it's a very great sport. So that starts tonight, and I'm very excited. Now, of course, there's gonna be some changes to the sport. Like I mentioned a few weeks ago, the Centerville Elks 
They are not playing ice hockey this year, thanks to low amount of skaters and COVID-19 not helping the cause. So no Elks this year. Springboro does have a full roster, but there's also going to be a few rules enforced new this year. So this is from uh, Cincinnati Sports app, which is Cincinnati Inquirer on an app. Uh, it's a free download, by the way, so if you want to get your sports through an app, there you go. Download it and tell them Lee sent you, and then everyone's like, who the hell's that? The first games are slated for Wednesday, November 25th. That's not true. They're slated for tonight. The day of roster is limited to 20 players, which, you know, uh, going back to my FHL days, you're only allowed to have 18 healthy players, and then the rest had to be healthy scratches or what have you. All players must sanitize their hands should their gloves be removed before and after warm-ups and at period breaks, you know, intermissions. Those on the bench must maintain six feet social distancing, and outside the six players on the ice, all bench personnel should have a face covering. Okay, sounds pretty self-explanatory there. Captains must maintain social distancing when talking or conferencing with an official. So, a little bit further away from the ref crease, we'll see the captains and alternate captains. Plastic shields covering the entire face, unless it's integrated. Into the face mask, attached on the inside of the mask, and clear, are not permissible. And according to the CDC, plastic shields are not an effective substitute for a cloth mask. Huh, I wonder why. Because you're not really covering anything? Oh yeah, the COVID virus is like, hmm, clear plastic shield. I guess I can't get up your nose now. Oh wait, I went underneath. Ha ha! Because, you know, the virus talks. Players should not remove mouth guards on the ice. Should they be removed in the bench area, hand sanitizer should then be applied. This one, I had to do a double take. What, you want to put hand sanitizer in the, you know, mouthpiece? Eh. Cloth masks may be worn while playing, but are not required. I mean, they be warm. Teams should prepare to come to a venue in partial or full uniform and leave the same way. And parents are encouraged to disinfect equipment after each practice or game. Which, that part makes sense. I mean, well, the disinfecting thing. I mean, you really should clean out. But hockey stuff's hard to clean. You seen the stuff? I mean, you got leg pads. You got stuff that covers your body. Just, eh. Now, the previous part in that paragraph, teams should prepare to come to a venue in partial full uniform. It's like football, where you know you have your protective gear on, or you got your whole jersey on. You're just ready to sling the helmet on. It's sort of like that. So, uh, I, I mean that that's pretty tough. I mean, like I said, hockey equipment is one of the big costs, and putting all that on just if it's a cold day, I understand. But there you go. So those are going to be some of the changes. Now, of course, venue-wise, <laughs> there's not a lot of venues that held a lot of people in Southwest Ohio. In fact, Hobart Arena would be the exception to that. But at the same time, if you're talking about Sports Plus, South Metro, Kettering, you know, you, there's not a lot of seats there. So, yeah, I think I read that's like 15% of the stadium capacity, or the arena capacity can be filled, 15%. So definitely, if you broadcast ice hockey, a lot of people are going to be depending on you to broadcast, which uh, actually, you know, that's that, that's a big honor for me. And it's also a little bit of pressure, too, just because I don't want to screw up and, you know, 
say the wrong thing. But at the same time, when people come to you for the game and, you know, they have an enjoyable experience, that's that's what makes being a broadcaster pretty darn nice. So, also, going back to the changes, I mentioned a couple times, Talawanda is an independent team. I, I thought Talawanda would have made the jump to the Capital Hockey Conference and, you know, have a string of four teams out of Columbus. Ha <laughs> ha, take that. But, no, they're independent this year, and you know, I'm... I'm Really interested in seeing what the future of Talawanda hockey holds. I'm not saying Talawanda hockey's going anywhere. No, that's that's not the case in the slightest. I'm just wondering, will Talawanda stay independent? Will they go back in the Southwest Ohio High School Hockey League? Will they go to the Capital Hockey Conference? I don't know, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mentioned no Centerville, so that means there's six teams in the Southwest Ohio High School Hockey League. I've mentioned that... Worthington Kilbourne and Columbus are fielding a varsity team, which is very exciting to see. So, what is that? Is that that's not 18 total teams. That's 19 total teams in the Capital Hockey Conference. Let's pull that up. Bring up that beautiful bean footage. So, in the Capital Hockey Conference, in case you don't know, there's three divisions, red, white, and blue. If you're in the red division, you're pretty much considered the cream of the crop. You have to really bow your way through to play in this. I mean, you got Upper Arlington coming off a one-loss season last year. You got Dublin Jerome, who's always in the mix. You got New Albany. They were in the Frozen Four last year until the season went kaput. You got Olentangy Liberty. I mean, they're always good. Olentangy Orange this year. St. Charles. I mean, those six teams, those six teams will give anyone fits. I mean, if you win against those six teams, you have yourself quite a program. And pretty much you have to be one of those six teams to move on from the Columbus District to play in the state title games or state semifinal games. In the white division, you know, you have a chance to go up in the red division if you finish first place after regular season. If you finish in sixth place in the white division, then you are brought down to the blue division. Blue division's no slouch, but it's more for teams that are starting up varsity squads. And, you know, if you finish last in the white division, you go down there. It's still great hockey. I mean... You know, don't sneeze at any of those seven teams in the blue division. By the way, in the white division, all the non-Columbus teams are here. Muller, St. Xavier, and Springboro. You know, yay, Cincinnati and Dayton. You also got Dublin Kaufman, Olentangy Berlin. They made the move up from blue last year. And Thomas Worlington, which I thought they were in blue too, but uh, I guess they made the move up too. In the blue division, you got Bishop Larson, Columbus Academy, Dublin Sciota, Gahanna Lincoln, Olentangy, St. Francis of Sales, and Worthington Kilbourne, like I mentioned, just bringing up a varsity team this year. If you finish first in the blue, you go up to the white next year. If you finish first in the red, then you don't have a division to jump up to, but if you finish sixth in the red, you go down to the white division. So that's how that works out. In the red division and the top three in the white, at least I think it'll be three, maybe it's two, if you're in the top of the white division or in the red division, you play for the championship side of the Blue Jackets Cup, which is the conference tournament at the end of the season in mid-February. If you're in the blue division or in the bottom of the white division, then you play in the consolation. What does that mean? Well, you still play in the state playoffs after that unless you opt out. But, you know, it's just different type of thing. So, how about those fans getting into CHC games. Well, thanks to COVID-19, attendance at all these games will be limited to immediate family members and will be subject to capacity limitations of the ICE facilities 
and some of these are very, very small capacities. It beats the alternative not having hockey, so there you go. That's why I mentioned, too. I mean, it's that's going to be the tough part, and yeah, I mean, in the lobby in South Metro, you know, there's not going to be that many people as well. It's, it's going to be a weird sensation, you know? Just, I mean, like I said, I'm happy to have hockey. I'm definitely happy for that, but it's just, it's not going to be as full in Springboro, especially with the Blue Crew. I, I, I don't know if that means they can be in. I mean, according to what the CHC said, unless they're immediate family, no. So... That brings me up to my next topic of change in ice hockey. As TKDS Sports will be streaming all the hockey games at South Metro Sports. And yours truly will broadcast Springboro and Mason games. And I believe they were trying to get Alter and Beaver Creek on board at Kettering. But, yeah, I mean, we're going to pay-per-view this year, which I know it's, you know, more expensive the last few years. Just go to YouTube for free and watch it there. But I will guarantee you it is worth it to pay. Uh, it's 100 bucks for this season, or it's 10 bucks for an individual game. $9.99 for an individual game, $99.99 for a season. I, I recommend that just because of the fact that, you know, we're going to have different camera angles this year. We have graphics. It's not just me setting up a camera, pointing it down the ice, and talking into the mic. Now it's going to be me with a bunch of different, you know, equipment and better views, better, I mean, these are 4K quality cameras and graphics, like I mentioned, and me talking in the mic, so there you go. What was really cool is, you know, they, they did, you know, keep me on board because I always worry if there's a takeover, then, you know, I'm not seen as important, so there I go. That's me getting the axe, by the way. So, yeah, ice hockey starts tonight officially. I'll be writing for Ohio Hockey Digest again for Cincinnati Area Hockey, Cincinnati Dayton Area Hockey, excuse me, and I'll share those articles. Hopefully you read them, and hopefully you have a good old time reading about hockey. In fact, I have my first roster, well, technically my second because of the preseason game, but I have my first roster all ready to go for tonight. And, yeah. It's hockey, so I'm really excited to get this ball rolling. And that will take me to the next topic. We're talking about reverse retro jerseys. Now, on this podcast, we do talk Blue Jackets from time to time. Uh, sometimes, you know, it might be a while, but, you know, I, I mainly focus on the area around here, if that makes sense. So, there's been a lot of articles already grading the retro Re- excuse me, reverse retro jerseys. Now, hear what a hockey broadcaster has to say about his favorite. First off, the Colorado... Well, we'll start with the non-Columbus ones. First up, uh, my second team would be the Winnipeg Jets, and they've gone back to the, uh, the, the ones before 1990, when it was Winnipeg 1.0. And they went to the current color scheme, which I never knew that the Winnipeg Jets were thinking about going to that color scheme before 1990. Because I always liked the red, blue, and white look of the Winnipeg Jets before they moved to Phoenix and became, you know, the dumpster fire known as the Coyotes. The reverse retro jersey, I mean, it's cool that they're, you know, they have that uh, color color scheme that they have now, but it's just, uh, I don't know, it just, 
I, I scream for red. I scream red. And also, Winnipeg, remember, the Jets 2.0, they're originally the Atlanta Thrashers. And most of the teams that relocated from a different place, they're honoring the uh, team that moved from there. Winnipeg, not so much. They're going with Winnipeg Jets 1.0 look. So, I like it, but eh, just the, the gray and the blue, I don't know. It just screams for red. It screams for red. The Colorado Avalanche will be donning Quebec Nordiques, which in college I always saw them as Nordics. The Nordiques jerseys, you know, before that whole, hey, we're going to change the logo. Oh, you moved to Colorado too late. The, Ig the Igloo uh, logo, which uh, I often wonder what the heck that was, but in Colorado Avalanche colors. It looks magnificent. It's one of my favorites on here. So, yeah, definitely enjoyable one. Carolina, of course, going back in the Hartford Whalers days with a gray jersey. Yeah, I love that, but it'd be nice if Hartford had a team again. Not sure if that'll ever happen, but, hey, if Hartford or Quebec City, you know, give one of those. I mean, Quebec City's got this giant, you know, arena that's like best of the, well, was best of the best when it opened, and they still don't have a major team in there. I mean, they got junior hockey, and yeah, junior hockey's great, but it's just not the NHL. You know what I'm saying? It's it's the top of the hockey pyramid outside Olympics. So, there we go. The Calgary Flames jersey, which has, uh, what is it, Sparky? The Flaming Horse? Yeah, that, that's a pretty cool one. I like the Chicago Blackhawks one. It reminds me the last jerseys that the Watertown Privateers had in the FHL. Although that look was based on Chicago Blackhawks of old as well. Buffalo Sabres jersey, it's all right. It's not bad. The Vegas Golden Knights jersey, what history are we talking about? You've been around for like a few years. So they actually go back to Las Vegas hockey history, which is cool. And I feel like that's what the red color's for because the Las Vegas Wranglers, you might know them. They were going to play on top of a hotel, and then they just folded. It never happened. I, I would love to see Wranglers play an ECHL action on top of a big hotel. Who's getting that puck? Oh, I have to go down 200 stories again. Ugh. So yeah, I like the red Vegas jerseys. The Capitals are going back to the Screaming Eagle look with the current color scheme. Love it. I mentioned the Jets one. It's, it's not bad. I like it. But it's just, again, it screams for red. The Los Angeles Kings going back to purple and gold. That's a no-brainer. Minnesota Wild going to North Stars colors. Oh, yeah, that's great. I love that one. And it's got the shadowing, too, as well, from, like, you know, back in the day. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. And if Wright State ever gets a club hockey team again, I hope they go with that color scheme. Now, the Montreal Canadiens, they are gone with a primarily blue jersey with a thick red stripe. I call it the Thomas Worthington jerseys because they, they've had those for a while, and those are great. But yeah, the blue really pops. I really like what Montreal did there. The Anaheim Mighty Ducks are back. They got Wild Wing. I like it. I like the font, but the only thing is there's too much white in the middle. Yes, I know. It's supposed to be a white jersey, but Wild Wing is white. His jersey is white. His hands are white. Most everything except the hockey stick is white and the Mighty Ducks logo. It, it just screams for teal or eggplant, the color eggplant. Phoenix, yeah, it looks all right. Boston in the gold, love it. P 
Pittsburgh, most people didn't like it, but I like the diagonal look. It's the classic look, although they did not go with the uh, the old Penguin logo, which, eh. Sharks jersey's all right. St. Louis going red as the Blues. Yeah, a lot of people didn't like that. I, I personally don't mind it. It's it's whimsical. The Tampa Bay Lightning going back to the old look. Yeah, that looks sharp. Toronto's jersey, I, I, I don't have... I don't have a beat on it because it's not like one style. They put, they took several old looks of the Maple Leafs and kind of threw it all together. I, I mean, it's it's all right. It's serviceable. But, eh. Vancouver went gradient from navy to green in the color color scheme. I actually like it. Most people didn't. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers like the orange, definitely. Ottawa's going with a red alternative jersey, basically, in their first look as the Ottawa Slants. The Ottawa Senators, I was going to say Slanders for a minute. What the heck is a slander? I don't know. New York Rangers, the Statue of Liberty look. Mm-hmm, that's great. Nashville and the gold jerseys, sure. New Jersey and the green, those are great. However, the logo looks a little low to me. I mean, normally you have it about where the chest is, around the lungs. But this one starts more towards, like, the, the middle, like the stomach area. I, I don't know. It just seems low to me, but... Where else was New Jersey going to go? Well, Colorado Rockies, I guess. But yeah. The New York Islanders one surprised me. Because, you know, a lot of people like, go back to the Fisherman jerseys. They did not do that. Now, personally, I love the Fisherman jerseys. I think I'm the only one that actually does. I really like the Lighthouse alternative logo they had. but uh, And the wavy numbers and everything. Uh, I wouldn't want to work an Islanders game. Just, you know see what numbers are there but you get what i'm saying they went back before they won all those stanley cups it's a nice look it's all right detroit red wings what in the heck is that is that a practice jersey it's so plain it screams for something i mean yeah the red wings have been around forever and you know hockey town and everything but those are just so plain the edmonton oilers jerseys the orange yoke i love it on white uh, the Florida Panthers one, I like it. I like it. It's not bad. It's going back to the uh, first days of the Panthers. I mentioned Colorado already. We'll skip the Blue Jackets one for now. Dallas Stars, eh. Eh. And I guess that's the last one. Let's talk about the Blue Jackets one. Now, the Blue Jackets reverse retro jersey has the first logo ever by CBJ. If you remember, it was a hockey stick with a big star on the top of the shaft and a big ribbon. And it's kind of like the Montreal Expos logo, where if you read it right, you see the letters CBJ. C on the left, B on the right side of the ribbon, and J is the hockey stick. They have the old number font, which is cool to see. And it's in red. Personally, I love it. I always wanted a red Blue Jackets jersey. I know uh, that's, you know, sacrificial and I should be hung in Columbus. Well, I should be hung in Columbus because I don't like Ohio State and I love in Ohio. Ooh, scandalous. <laughs> that's why I say that. Anyway, I always wanted to see a red Blue Jackets jersey. And I think in Nation Arena, they sold like warm up red jerseys. And I, I didn't buy it because it was expensive. Now, I know why they didn't back in the day, you know, that rivalry with the Detroit Red Wings, you know, red, avoid red altogether, red. I really like it. I honestly do. A lot of people were complaining Stinger, you know, the bug, 
mascot with the uh, eye eyebrows of hockey sticks. He's not on there. A lot of people didn't like that. I don't care about that one bit. It's got the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets uh, Civil War Cannon logo on it, which I, I love that logo. Uh, not as much as the main logo that the Blue Jackets have now. There's stars at the end of the arms, uh, the thick blue stripe on the bottom. I really like that reverse jersey, and I think it's sharp. My favorite one, nope, not the Blue Jackets one, is probably a mix-up between uh, the Montreal... Wild one, the Colorado Avalanche. I like the Vegas one. Uh, Calgary one, I think, is cool. Most people, yeah, kind of different on that. Carolina going, Whalers again, yeah, that's cool, but they've done that before. Philadelphia's orange, uh, I like that. Uh, Blue Jackets, I do love. Um, I, I don't know what my favorite one is, but uh, yeah. If you're looking for a Christmas gift and you want to spend money on a hockey jersey, don't. Just, you know, support the podcast and maybe donate it. I don't know. But yeah, those are reverse retro jerseys. Now, going back to high school hockey for a minute, you know, I've been picturing in my mind, if I had any talent in designing jerseys, I would design... Uh, hockey jerseys for high schools that don't have it. Uh, Miamisburg Vikings would be uh, my top one. Uh, just because you can have the Viking horns on the helmet. Yeah, it doesn't look as you know smooth as it does on the football helmets. Yeah, but still, I'd probably run with that. Um, uh, Northmont, I'd have Thunder, uh, the Thunderbolt, or the Lightning Bolt even down the side of the pants, I think. Well, shorts, and I think that'd be a cool look on the jersey. Although... I mean, they went to the current Tampa Bay Lightning logo on the football helmets. It just It's not the same. Go back to the San Diego Chargers Lightning Bolt. I'm sorry, Los Angeles Chargers Lightning Bolt. That, that's a great look. I mean, I could talk about this all day, but um, the, the fact is I don't have enough talent to actually um, design those things. Be cool to see a Twin Valley South hockey jersey. I haven't thought of a Valley View one too. I mean, Valley View's football jerseys have always been plain, so navy helmet, you know, navy jersey. Although Valley View's girls basketball team, a few years back when I was broadcasting with uh, GCSN, um, they had uh, the I don't know what they're called, but it looked like soldiers from the Roman days. They had those things. I thought that was cool, but there you go. So yeah, that was a nice little something. For that, and I think we'll wrap things up now. I mean, I talked about football and state title winners. I talked about hockey. Talked about the reverse retro jerseys. There are a few things I wanted to talk about in college basketball. No first four in Dayton for 2021, as the NCAA is looking at one location to hold it all, and maybe it'll be Indianapolis, Indiana, which isn't too far from Dayton. How bad will that hurt the area? Well, if I remember a Dayton Business Journal article well enough, that's a loss of about uh, $5 million. Yeah, first four brings in some serious cash. And if Dayton does get to host a few more rounds, that brings in even more money. You know, crazy to think. But, yeah, I mean, COVID's really putting a wrench in the sports. Luckily, we have had sports. I, I do want to talk about the coronavirus a little bit. Yeah, I know. People are going to be like, ah, here's another hack that thinks, you know, you can talk about coronavirus. Wear a mask. 
That's all I'm going to say. Wear a mask, please. You can be a paper mask. I don't care. I mean, if I get the coronavirus, uh, pretty much I'm imagining my lungs frying up, and then that's kind of it for me. Yeah, having asthma is not fun during a time where it can affect your upper respiratory system. Trust me. No, actually, what I wanted to talk about is this winter, if we have sports come back, I mean, Ohio High School or OHSAA has said we're going full steam ahead, whereas Michigan said no, Illinois said no, and they're postponing. Um, Indiana, I think, still going. I think Kentucky has pushed things back after Christmas, I think. Is it January 4th? Or am I remembering wrong? It's like in December. They're pushing it back. But, yeah, it is It is January just because, you know, football's finishing up. And, you know, football's finishing up and basketball won't start, you know, for a little bit. Here's some interesting news. Uh, you know, channeling my national sports talk hostness. In the NBA, the Toronto Raptors are going to play in Tampa to start the season. Now, of course, you know, Canada's like, nope. You know, they have a stricter set of guidelines against coronavirus, which, you know, I don't think we'll see in the United States because I, I don't know how well we do in a shutdown. And I don't mean, like, businesses. I mean, like, people. I mean, uh, check in on your friends. Check in on everyone. Check in on me once in a while, you know, because I, I have those rough moments. And it's it's tough some days, so, you know. Say hi, and that'd be great. So, I want to scroll down a little bit. I have been tweeting a lot lately. Oh, did you hear that the Fox Regional Sports Networks will be rebranded next year using the Bally name? Now, Bally is a place of fitness or whatever. So, yeah, it's not going to be Fox Sports Ohio. It's going to be like Bally, Ohio, which is weird, or Bally Sports Ohio. Think about that. This is from Sinclair Broadcast Group, the... The verified account. So it's not like someone's like, oh, it's so funny. I'm so funny. <laughs> no, this is from Sinclair Broadcast Group, who own all the regional uh, Fox Sports channels. So yeah, we might not even have Fox Sports Ohio next year. It's Valley, Ohio. So, you know, think about that. I do want to talk about the NBA draft. I'm not going to talk about the whole thing because there's locals talk about. We'll start off with the undrafted signing, Xavier Simpson of Michigan. He signed an undrafted free agent deal with the Los Angeles Lakers, which that doesn't mean he's with the Lakers. It could mean he's going to South Bay in the G League. But the Lima senior representative is now a Los Angeles Laker. He's part of the Lakers organization. So Definitely, that's really cool to see. And I remember Xavier Simpson making some noise up north in Lima. So that's definitely cool. I like to see locals getting drafted. Speaking about another local, well, Luke Kennard of Franklin. He's got his jersey retired in Franklin now. He's no longer a Detroit Piston. He got traded to the Los Angeles Clippers. Which, um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised on that trade. But, you know, maybe he'll thrive with the Clippers. It'd be nice if the Clippers could, you know, do something and get out of the second round, but there you go. Najee Marshall, you might remember him with the Xavier Musketeers. Well, he signed a two-way contract with the New Orleans Pelicans. So that means he can go G League, which I don't know what their affiliate is, back to New Orleans. So uh, the former Musketeer in the NBA. Desmond Bain from Richmond, Indiana. 
a graduate of Seton Catholic High School. And with the TCU Horn Frogs, well, Memphis moved up to the 30th spot to draft Bain. So that'll be cool to see. I mean, we got uh, J.A. Morant and now Desmond Bain with the Grizzlies. So it'd be really cool. And, you know, I know Wayne County and the surrounding area is really happy for him. And it's really cool to see. Now, we're not quite at the big news yet. I'm saving that for last. Mainly because when I tried to scroll down, it just flipped out on me. Thanks for that. Uh, I want to also talk about, I mentioned Luke Kennard going to the Clippers. And then Detroit drafted Sadid Bay with the 19th pick. And Detroit's third on that draft. So that's, uh, that's something. Now, the big story in the draft, Obi Toppin. Spectacular player, UD. And crazy to think how much of a ride he's had. I mean, going to UD, not even talking about being drafted or anything, and then just skyrocketed, led, led all colleges, and he won the John Wooden Award. So, he's a winner. I did not expect Obi Toppin to drop to 8th place, but he did, and he's picked up by the New York Knicks. If you know your NBA landscape, the New York Knicks haven't been good in quite some time. In fact, historically, I think the really good days were in the 90s, you know, especially when Whoopi Goldberg was head coach of the New York Knicks and they took down the Charlotte Hornets. And that's the end of the movie. No, that's not the good part. New York Knicks were pretty good in the 90s. However, there was Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. It didn't really matter how good you were. You know, Michael Jordan was there. In fact, what was that season? 94-95? The Pacers were the only team in the same division as the Bulls to beat them twice. So, yeah. So, yeah, Knicks, I mean, uh, look a few years back, Kristaps Porzingis, uh, when he was drafted by the Knicks, a lot of people didn't like him. Then Kristaps actually steps on the court and then dazzles everyone. Then he gets upset, and then a few years later is traded away to Dallas. Obi Toppin is about an hour away from Madison Square Garden. That's his hometown. And he will be a New York Knick. I don't see him. And hopefully New York doesn't, you know, let him rot in Westchester, which is the, I believe it's a G League affiliate of the Knicks. But getting to start his pro career in his hometown, that's pretty amazing. This is from David Jablonski, former guest on this podcast. And Ossining, I believe that's Ossining. Maybe it's Assining, I don't know. Picked eighth, and Toppin's going to play in his home state, which I think... Now, because of that, a lot of Flyer fans will buy his New York Knicks jersey, which, you know, they have some nice jerseys, blue and orange. It's a color scheme you don't see too often. But definitely a huge moment, and a lot of people really, really loved his professionalism and just how he carries himself. I mean, I was lucky to watch Obi Toppin in a few games I worked at UD, and just, yeah, amazing talent, and... You know, this year it's gonna be it's gonna be a little tough because you know there's not really a preseason. It's you know okay, season's here, go to it. And you know there's not a lot of time to gel. Is I, I don't know. I hope Toppin can do well with the New York Knicks, and I'm definitely really really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Now, this is big news for the University of Dayton. Well, this year they don't have Obi Toppin. That's a bad way to look at it, but some good news. Remember how Adam Troutman was drafted by the New Orleans Saints a while back? 
Well, Obi Toppin was drafted, and that's the first time in a while, I think in the 1970s, that the Flyers have had two leagues draft a Flyer. Which, that's uh, really cool to think about. And also, he's the first Flyer to be drafted in the first round since uh, Jim Paxson with the 12th pick by the Portland Trailblazers back in 1979. Also, the first Flyer to be drafted since Costas Antetokounmpo. I forgot. That's the player. I knew that... I thought that the Flyers had someone drafted a few years back, but I just wasn't... It wasn't clicking in my head. It's like, oh yeah, Costas, he played at UD. And now he's a Los Angeles Laker. And I think he was on the championship teams. Was he? I don't know. I, I, I do my best to follow NBA. And I follow the Pacers and Cavs uh, mainly. I'm going to find this out right now if Costas ended up as a Laker. I will tell you, though, that I can tell you that Giannis Antetokounmpo is the Antetokounmpo to you know, really watch out. I mean, he, he's got himself a great supporting crew in Milwaukee, and you know, we'll see if he stays with the Bucks. Let's go to roster and coaches. Hard to believe that Frank Vogel was the head coach of the Lakers. I mean, that's not bashing him. I mean, I thought he did a great job of Indiana. Then, you know, his contract wasn't renewed, and now, yeah. Costas was on the roster. That is great. So he got a ring with the Lakers. That is awesome. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's that's not the point. The point is, Toppin is the first Dayton player drafted by the Knicks since Mike Ganiski, a six-round pick back in 1982. Also, the Knicks drafted Irv Giddings, fourth round in 1978. I mean, it's huge. It's a great day to be a flyer, and it's a great day to see Troutman succeed with the Saints, and now Obi Toppin gets his shot to go pro. I mentioned no first four in UD, but I should also mention <laughs> this year there's probably not a lot of fans getting to watch a Dayton Flyers game in person. That's why you got radio with Larry Hanskin, and also at Wright State you got radio with Chris Collins too. You got good broadcasters up here calling good college action. So, also, with Toppin making his NBA debut, he'll be the 23rd flyer ever to play in the league. And you can read the article. Jordan Cyber got drafted? Oh, no, he played in the NBA. I, I didn't think he got drafted, but there you go. So, there we go. That will wrap up episode 191 quite nicely in a package. Not quite two hours, thank goodness for that. But still a long day. Again, if you have any questions for the Malins mailbag episode I'm planning, please send them on social media, Sunday Pod or the Lee W. Malin. As long as I get them, I'll answer them. And right now I got a couple in the mailbag. Hopefully you'll decide to send some. Along the way, or else it'll be a very boring episode. Now I'm just going to make up questions and, you know, act like, you know, I have a lot of listeners. But there's a couple more uh, pieces uh, to touch up on. In the Federal Professional Hockey League, the Mentor Icebreakers are folding the second team in Ohio in the FHL, FPHL. And Mentor is closing shop thanks to COVID. In fact, in December... Mentor will no longer be a thing, which is a shame. Youngstown State 
Remember, they're picked to finish second in men's basketball in Horizon League. They have paused team activities, meaning that could throw a wrench in college basketball action. And Franklin County is at level four in coronavirus. Talked a little bit about that earlier, but here's hoping that the spread stays down. Ice hockey tonight, and join me next week for episode 192 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. We got local sports here, not on Dayton Radio. Talk to you again next week. We'll talk about the Bengals game at Washington. We'll talk about ice hockey. We'll talk about who won the state title games in football. And we'll just talk some local sports. How's that sound? Also, still scheduled, Tony Peters, Seth Kimes preview of the 2020-2021 boys basketball season and OHSAA play, if we have a season, that is. And there's a lot more where that came from. Again, not on dating not on Dayton Radio. It's the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. And this concludes episode 191. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. You can also find the Redbubble and Tee Public shops there too, where all podcast merchandise purchases go to help the podcaster. Follow on social media at Sunday Pod and the Lead W Mowen on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This closing theme was created with the Splash app. This is Lee W Mowen saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk more local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports next time.